As a sales manager, you are judged by the performance of your team and you're praised when they do well. But one thing that you've not been able to figure out is how to get everyone on your team consistently hitting quota every single month. On the Snack Size Sales Podcast, we discuss the science of selling STEM. Sales leadership in the science, technology, engineering, and manufacturing fields is difficult. You will learn from sales managers just like you that will give you actionable insights and tips on how to develop as a leader and achieve your revenue targets every single month. So pop your headphones in and get ready to listen to my guests today. They will give you information and inspiration to ensure that you have actionable insights that you can put into place today. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Snack Size Sales Podcast. Today, my guest is Jennifer Weens. How are you, Jennifer? Doing great, thanks. Awesome. So let me tell you a bit about Jennifer. She is the Senior Director of Business Development for Briotech a late-stage startup located in the Pacific Northwest. Briotech seeks to transform health and disinfection worldwide through the biohacking technology of HOCL. Her strengths in leadership, data science, and narration have helped organizations and C-suite executives eliminate blind spots, capture financial opportunity, and build stronger teams. Jennifer has advised Ivy League researchers, Fortune 500 executives, and tech starter founders. She has degrees in neuroscience and an executive MBA from Suffolk University. She is also a guest lecturer at the Sawyer Business School in Boston. Wow, so you're pretty amazing. Neuroscientist, MBA, helping late stage startups, and you're a lecturer? So tell me, Jennifer, how did you start your career, have a degree in neuroscience to becoming a director of business development? Well, I like to stay busy, obviously, but more than that, I mean, I was always fascinated with science and solving problems. I thought going into education, I, sh- I ought to pursue the STEM field. I was really fascinated by that. And so I started my career as a scientist for a good 10 years. I kind of went from bench scientist to then managing teams of scientists. So I had a nice soft skill set that I leveraged as well as the technical skill set. And kind of that blend allowed me to pivot over to the business side. And then I went and got my business degree. And then before you know it, I'm in these different startups for medical device and and healthcare space. And I landed at this current position, actually kind of going into their engineering department and like fixing, you know, fixing problems. And then from there, The marketing needed fixing problems, and then the sales needed fixing problems. So I kind of just been going around and just tackling anything that kind of comes my way and letting, like, seizing opportunities when they come. So is it, like, is it, it's part random, part by design, just following my nature, I guess you could say. And that's kind of what led me through my path. So tell me about that transition from being just a bench scientist to leading teams. How was that transition for you? What happened was I was going around, uh, well, first I just kind of was stagnant. It was after the 08 crash. So after the 08 crash, you kind of just hunkered down, you had your job and you just 
try to survive. And so that was six years. And at that time, I learned all these great skills. And I knew I could do more, but there was no opportunity. I eventually did get laid off, but then I grabbed out an opportunity for a promotion as a higher level bench scientist. And then two months later, they decided to shut down that facility. This was Amgen in Seattle. Yeah. But what happened then is at the headquarters, they were moving a lot of projects to their headquarters. So I decided I had to follow where the work was. And there was this project that no one wanted to touch because it was completely behind schedule. It was, they, it was mass confusion, lots of ambiguity. A lot of people in science are uncomfortable with ambiguity. And I was very highly comfortable with that. So they put me, they kind of thrusted me in this management position where they're like, okay, go start up a lab. You have five months. It's this, we're carving out this whole regulatory space that we've never done before. And I just kind of, I'm kind of, I guess, a bold person. So I was like, yes, I'll do it. And so signing up for things that no one else wants to do, I kind of was the way that kind of got me to that, you know, go from being an individual contributor to a manager. And then I was able to hire people. I had a knack for it. And then once you're kind of in that category and you can prove yourself and you do a good job, then you're just in that category. You're in management all of a sudden. So then, yeah, so that's basically the story of how that happened. And ever since just been kind of going up from there. And so you said you had a knack for hiring people. What, what are some of the, the knacks or the, the things that you could tell the audience about hiring people and not necessarily salespeople, just people in general? I would say the biggest thing was the reassurance you could give candidates on being reliable. They apply, you're tenaciously looking at resumes, you get back to them really fast you have an initial interview, you tell them, I'm going to get back to you, whether it's a yes or no, or maybe doesn't matter within this amount of time and you do it. Mm. And what had happened was there's great candidates and they probably had better offers, maybe, but those companies were dragging their feet and I was fast. So that Mm. reward I was giving them like, oh my gosh, they're responding really fast. Responding, I wasn't able to hire at the top of the pay scale whatsoever. It was very middle. But I was trying to promote like, hey, we're at least reliable and trustworthy and we're going to do what we say, say what we mean kind of organization. And that right there was I was able to attract the best talent. And then at that, once you have the best talent, it's the freedom and responsibility. You let them have freedom, but you give them responsibility that they're accountable, but you don't micromanage. So you you get the top talent that way by being a reliable interviewer and just in that hiring process. And then from there, you respect them as adults and you let them thrive. I love that because, you know, when you are able to show, especially that candidate experience, that I am a person of my word. So if this is how I treat you before you're even a part of my team or a part of my company, imagine how amazing it's going to be to work for me. And a lot of people don't realize that, right? Like you said, I'm going to get back to you. That's something I always tell when I'm working with hiring managers like if you talk to somebody on the phone or if you if they carve out 30 minutes or an hour to do an interview the least you can do is just get back to them whether it's an email or a phone call and say hey thank you so much however we moved on so they can know let me focus my attention other places and then it the conversation the environment the relationship didn't stop then once you brought them on it's like okay i'm not going to be micromanaging you i'm not going to be emailing you and over your shoulders all the time you're an adult i trust you and i think that's one thing that we miss when we're building strong teams right like 
Hiring, I hired you because you are the best person. And now I'm going to let you do what I hired you to do. Yeah, exactly. And I would try to come at them with like a coaching mindset while they're in. I mean, all the, you know, there's a definite like generational differences on how, what people expect out of the job. And I would say that the Gen Z millennial for sure, they definitely want more career building like within their job. They want to be able to add skill sets. So I was always like, okay, well, let's take your resume. And while you're here with us, while we get to have you, let's start building your resume. And just through that, like the retention was amazing. I mean, people would say, oh, that's weird. It's almost like you're coaching them to leave one day. I'm like, they are going to leave one day. So I might as well just get all the great skill sets. But it was so funny because they were so incentivized to stay and keep building themselves that they stayed. So that was how I was able to retain scientists for, you know, for the time that I had. I was able to kind of like succession plan as well so I could keep moving up. It's basically I have this philosophy where train somebody to do your job so that you're free to do your boss's job and your boss is free to do their boss's job and then y'all kind of rise up together. So that that kind of philosophy worked really well in, in big organizations that can be kind of hard to traverse and there might be a lot of politics and uncertainty. But if you can form that like chain of support, it works out really well. Yeah. And, you know, I don't understand why managers and leaders, they feel so threatened when they have somebody on the team who is performing higher than them or doing shining more than them. And I'm like, but you created that person, right? You poured into them. So you should be happy about that. <laughs> and something else that uh, you said about your retention, it, and I say this all the time, people don't leave companies, they leave managers, right? And so no matter what's going on in the company, corporate at large, they, if you are a strong leader, you're a strong manager, your people are not going to leave you. And so really when I start my sessions with managers that have high turnover, I'm like, you're the problem. <laughs> Stop blaming it on the company. It's yeah, you. Exactly. <laughs> you're the problem. Not everything else. Not because they couldn't get this done or that done. The buck stops with you. Yeah, that's very true. And I was kind of lucky to, I'm going to say luck because I don't know why, why I learned some of this stuff. It just kind of came natural. But, you know, in science, it can be, the soft skills can kind of, sometimes take a backseat to technical skills. So I would say as far as like actual like skill building, part of it is building the soft skill side for people, empathy, the self-awareness, what kind of communication style are you? What kind of communication style is the other person? How do you meet in the middle? And all these little things, I mean, as well as like the technical training and trying to get cross training and stuff. So there's a lot you can do as a manager to improve like the motivation for your staff to stay there and keep performing as, you know, as good as they can and everything. So, yeah. And so tell me about, so you were a team, a leader of a technical group, and then you transitioned to the business side. So right. talk to me about how did that transition come about and how was that for you? Yeah, it's interesting. So there's a couple ways, like you can think about having direct reports and like I had direct reports of the scientific side and then I had gone to business school and I had moved to product management for a scientific, like a, a contracting firm that basically contracted out scientists. So from there, I was actually technically a, an individual contributor. However, I had groups that were like, I was the internal client for mm. internal groups that basically had to do my, like had my deliverables. And in some ways I wasn't necessarily managing them from an HR perspective. 
But I could still, a lot of the same tools you use for motivation for people and just interpersonal relationship, you apply whether you're, you know, talking to a direct report that needs to do something for you or an internal team that needs to do something for you. And then I moved to med device and I was one of two people in the startup and I had external contractors. So they're not my employees technically. However, I still applied those same skill sets. So I, I went from you know, having direct reports in science, then I was in science, but product management. So it was shifted more towards the marketing. I had internal clients. Then I was in a startup. I had external clients. Then I get hired here and now I have employees again. And I also mm. have external clients. So that's kind of how I made the shift. It wasn't like a direct overseeing this type of staff to this type of staff from like performance review and HR, but I had this intermediary that I kind of saw as a similar dynamic of how I you know, interact. And so one thing that I like about the way you describe that, it's you did this consciously or unconsciously, not sure which one, but you know, you kind of started your career as a, a scientist, individual contributor, then you managed a team. And at some point you realized that you wanted to transition into the other side of the business. So being really um, more customer facing. And you said, I don't want to call it a step back, but essentially you said, okay, I'm going to go back to being an individual contributor because this is a new world for me. Yes. So let me learn what they do before I climb, start to climb back up again and start managing people like that. And I think so many times people are like, well, I've led a team of 50 scientists. I can lead a team of 50 salespeople. And no, you can't because it's yeah, very yeah. different, right? These are <laughs> yeah. very different skill sets. Yeah. Yeah. There was definitely some learning I had to do. It's a totally different, like, and I just wanted to be respected from like a, from a, like a, when I say sales or technical skill set, I mean, even sales has a technical skill set, right? And there's tools or specialized tools that you might need to know. I wanted to be completely competent in those skills before I dare, you know, manage people and try to coach them through that. So, I mean, I had to, yeah, I mean, when you want to grow, like, it's kind of like weight loss, you know, you have your graph, it's like, not going to be like this, it's going to be like that, you know? And I'm like signing over a podcast. I'm doing a zigzag line, but it's going upwards. Okay. <laughs> I love it. Anyway, but like, so, you know, you just kind of have to like have a North Star and you just have to trust you're going to get there. It might take a decade, two decades, whatever, but just kind of enjoy the your path along the way and kind of stepping back so you can like learn something totally different is very exciting too. It, it does take the pressure off. And I will say that it, it was kind of nice. I, I got to say, having all these employees and a big org chart under me to like nobody, I'm like, wait, there's no performance reviews? Look at all this time I have. This is amazing. So <laughs> it wasn't all bad. You know, you could take some time for yourself, develop yourself and then jump back into it. You know, one thing that I find so much within, you know, these technical companies, this arena that we work in, a lot of times whether it's in the sales department, engineering department, operations, they have people that are promoted into leadership roles and the team under you doesn't respect you because you've never walked a day in their shoes, right? But by yep. you taking that step back and saying, hey, I'm going to do this job. So I know this job. And when I push you harder, I know that you can do it because I've done it. Right. And so again, going back to that, people don't leave companies, they leave managers. And by instilling that within the employees, you're helping them be like, oh, okay. Um, she's done this. So I know when she's coaching me, that is coming from a good place. 
So tell me about your current team, the composition of what you do today. Sure. So I have, our company is only 37 people. And excuse me, some of those people are actually in the manufacturing, making the thing, right? And so I'm on this other businessy side. And I have a small team. I just have, I have one associate that works directly with me in the business development. And then I have two marketing liaisons. And then what I have for, I have an external partner, like an external uh, resource. And there's like a whole org chart there of, I think, eight people right now. So I have to kind of oversee what they're doing and kind of set their strategy a little bit and give them support. So I first had to train all this whole external force. Interesting thing about this company, BrioTech, is that their core competency really isn't supposed to be a huge sales and marketing firm. And that's why we had external, we kind of operate like a virtual company and have this external uh, safety first labs be our sales engine. And I was the one that kind of got introduced to them and formed the relationship, vetted them, and now I'm training them. So I'm kind of using them as my organization, but I'm not like, you know, I'm not their HR manager, as it were. So I have very small staff here, and then we have this external staff, and we'll just keep growing that external staff, and then we'll grow here as needed. We have some also some international kind of little bubbles of staff that we can start leveraging as we grow our global footprint as well. So I'm kind of in this virtual company space where I'm like this focal point, but we're not growing our overhead at headquarters here. We're keeping ourselves lean. Our investors like that. So there we are. So I like that. Is it so it sounds like a distributor, but more you have a lot more control and you're providing them training and things like that. So I know as small companies, this is always a challenge. It's like we need more revenue, but for more revenue, we have to increase overhead by adding more salespeople and salespeople don't pay for themselves immediately, right? And so talk to me more about how that external channel is working for you guys. Really great. They already have pre-existing relationships. And so they've brought on this president that has you know, 30 years experience, dozens of relationships that, and they were already selling something that was not our product, but it was, you know, it was kind of similar. It doesn't compete directly, but they have customer base. Also, Safety First Labs sold into Home Depot and we just launched in Home Depot. So we were able to leverage a huge retailer relationship. So sometimes when you find the right group, the ROI on them is pretty fast, much faster than just organically training brand new people to form all these connections. So that's kind of what we wanted to find the right partnerships with pre-existing relationships that we could leverage. I love that. And again, I know in, in this field where we're in manufacturing in these very highly technical fields, sometimes you'll say, oh, okay, we're going to expand our sales force by using distributors. And then you get like five or 10 generalists, right? And the due diligence that you did, like there in Home Depot, that's where we're selling our products into now. There we have synergy. Okay, they're already doing this and we have synergies. They're talking to the people we want to talk to. Yes, you guys are the right one. And then you're going over and above and you're actually working with them because so many people do distribution wrong. They just say, okay, here's some product brochures. Send us any leads that you have and we'll kind of work through it. And so it's like, as they give you this portfolio of 
50 products, 50 companies that they're representing. Yours is like the last one on the list. But it sounds like you actually have strategy around this, <laughs> which is why it is successful for you. Yeah, I think that like we have a great product that is, I believe, one of a kind. And so I don't think this firm really wants to push other stuff right now. They see it as a win and it has so much latitude, like it can be sold in all these different channels. It's going to keep them so busy. So mm. I got I, we're lucky because we have such a great thing to sell. And that they don't need to have a catalog of 20 items. In fact, that would kind of dilute out the main message of what we offer. So, so yeah, it worked out really well. We're also really lucky because it just seems like the interesting, cool things are coming to us. Like the universe is putting things together. I'm not really sure. Like if this is, it just appears like this. I don't, mm. so it's, that's really been really exciting. Just kind of, I didn't have to sweat too hard to find these guys. It just kind of happened. So got lucky, I guess. And um, yeah, we're really excited to see what other kind of international things come our way too. You've given me so many like success stories already. I mean, Home Depot having your products as a, a late stage startup and saying we're a company of 37, having your products in a place like Home Depot, like that's an <laughs> international giant company to me, that's a huge success. But yeah. talk to me, share something that you're particularly proud of, whether it's a project, an employee, a team, something that you're really excited about. Okay. I'm really excited because this technology is, I feel it's like really transformative. We had applied to the World Health Organization Essentials Medicines list. Our application is online. In that application, you're going to be able to see like a, just a, it's a 55 page, super robust, breaking down all of our science, all of our publications that we've been doing for the past four years and all the peer reviewed journals. Not only that, you get to see the before and after transformative pictures, healing pictures, people with amazingly terrible injuries, diabetic wounds, whatever it is going from just dire situation to healthy skin. And I am really excited for the celebrity of our ingredient to get out there. One cool thing, we did get a little bit of press at health.com. That magazine just wrote an article and mentioned us. It's like, this is a buzzy ingredient and it is everything the hype says it is and had all these great things to say. We didn't know it was coming. So with mm. unexpected great press is like always a surprise. And we're really excited for that. Who Essential Medicine's decision? Are we going to be added to the list of 60 countries to be sold as a medicine? Fingers mm. crossed. But we, I think we have a good shot. So, we're so ready. tell us a little yeah. bit more about the actual product because you're telling us all the amazing things that you're getting these accolades. But tell us what does it do? Because I know that you sure. have a gift for our audience. So I want to make sure that they are able to go out and they know exactly what you guys do. Yeah. So we, HOCL, uh, that's the acronym for the molecule, hydrogen, oxygen, and chlorine. It's called hypochlorous acid. And this molecule exists in all of our white blood cells right now. It's evolved with all mammals. And it's what we use to fight infection. It's what we use to promote healing. If you get a cut, it's growing the skin back up. And it's going to reduce inflammation, all the redness. It simmers that down. It's like the fix-it molecule. I'm the fix-it lady. This is the fix-it molecule. Makes everything better, okay? Now, when this, this company has been able to isolate it, make it pure, and scale it up. So they scale it using salt water, amazingly, but they have a very complicated, sophisticated machine with very sophisticated software to precision control the manufacturing, make it super scalable so it can go on the shelf of any retail store, any amount of retail stores, 
keep it stable with a long shelf life, and keep it very pure. There's no contamination in there, and it's reacting like as if we just took the best part of inside ourselves, took it to the external world, and just, you know, you can use it in disinfection. We're on the EPA list end to kill coronavirus. We can use it in cosmetic. All the before and after pictures, you see these amazing, I mean, people's skin conditions are getting cleared up. And it's just incredible. Our Amazon reviews are littered with before and after pictures saying, what just happened? My, my piercing healing got completely healed. And there's medical indications. So we're working through the FDA right now with some additional claims. So we kind of have all these great things. We're hoping to totally disrupt and ruin the toxic chemical industry, which might not make us some friends, but that's okay. <laughs> and we're looking to, yeah, I mean, just simplify everything. You don't need to buy a bunch of pres- you know expensive prescriptions or products. You can reduce it down to something a little bottle that costs, you know, $6 can, you know, save you a ton of money and we can get this technology out to places that really need it out in the middle of the third world countries. They can't afford vaccines and they need disinfection and it's safe. I mean, you can you can have it, you know, in the air and y- you recognize it because it's just that pure molecule that exists in us anyway. So that's kind of that spiel with the product. And we're, you know, we're excited to see what all the different product lines we can put it in. Pet care, home care, you know, baby care, whatever. There's like no limit. Wow. And so this, what you just did is what I consider the best of technical sales, right? Because essentially, this is a really, really technical product, right? We started this hydrogen, oxygen, chlorine. But what does it do? And that's what matters the most. You can order this on Amazon to help care of skin conditions. You can disaffect a whole hospital, I'm just going to say, right? You can send it to third world countries to help them cut down their risk of infection. And it all started with adding a few... Um, a few elements together, right? In a lab. Yeah. And now look at what it's doing. And then all those acronyms, the FDA, the EPA, WHO, right? And so you guys are doing amazing work. And I know that with you leading the commercial effort that there's no stone, there's no thing that will be unturned. So tell us about the gift that you have for the audience. Oh, uh, I have a gift. It is a coupon code. It's, I, you know, hopefully that's considered a gift. I mean, it requires you kind of buying something, but, um, <laughs> but you know, you're 25% off pride 25, go to our website, you, uh, fill up your cart and use that. And we're doing that for pride month coming up. So pride 25, 25% off your entire order. And yeah, also any viewers out there, if you want to connect with me on LinkedIn and keep that connection going, I'll, uh, you know, I can uh, send you something, maybe like a bottle, uh, you know, no big deal. Just try it out. Love to just get the stuff out there. And once people use it, though, they do become addicted. So, you know, I'll do like the first one free kind of situation here. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. So you can get 25% off your entire order if yeah. you go to the website, which will be in the show notes, or reach out to Jennifer on LinkedIn, and you can find her LinkedIn URL in the show notes also. Thank you so much, Jennifer. It's You're been welcome. a pleasure chatting with you today and learning more about your background, as well as your company and the amazing work that you guys are doing. Thank you so much. And that has been another episode of the Snack Size Sales Podcast. 
Remember, head to our website, snacksizesales.com to get your free ebook and learn 10 simple strategies to kickstart your sales. Until next time, in everything you do, transform your sales. Thank you for joining us today on the Snack Sized Sales Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe and leave us a review. Learn how to continue increasing your bottom line by getting simplified sales strategies delivered to your inbox weekly by going to www.snacksizedsales.com. Trust me, your bank account will grow and love you.